Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's December 14, 2014, and this is episode 452. Today I'm going to walk you through a few tips for shooting images to later stitch together to create high-resolution panorama photographs. We're also going to cover two methods for finding the no-parallax point of the lens that you can use for this type of shooting, as well as a few easier methods that also work great. Today's episode is actually an adapted version of a topic that I cover in detail in my Striking Landscapes ebook from Craft & Vision. Although I'll try to cover the actual process of stitching the images together on the computer at a later date, if you'd like more information sooner rather than later, perhaps consider picking up a copy of this ebook and following along with that, if you don't already have a copy that is. I'll link to the ebook in the show notes and in the blog post for today's podcast, which is going to be at mbp.ac slash 452. And you'll really need to go over there today to check out all of the images as well. We've got 17 or 18 photos to look through. So quite a lot of illustration today. So do go over to the blog if you're not already there. And note too that I'm releasing this one day early because I'm starting the first of my winter tours tomorrow. So this is actually going out on a Sunday instead of a Monday if you wonder what's happening there. So for panorama photographs comprised of multiple images stitched together, there are multiple ways to shoot your base images and infinite levels of intricacy depending on how much work you're prepared to do for the end product. I use a number of methods depending on the situation. On rare occasions, I simply crop a single frame down to a panoramic aspect ratio but that results in a small image, which won't be optimal for large prints. I have printed single frame crops at 40 inches wide, having blown up the image in On One Software's perfect resize. So if there are reasons for shooting a single frame and cropping, such as having a lot of moving elements in the scene that wouldn't stitch very easily, then I'll do that, but I like to avoid it when possible. If I'm running and gunning, I will sometimes simply find my scene, flip the camera vertically and shoot a series of handheld images. With the stitching software being so good these days, this method is generally fine and although we'll go on to talk about much more complicated methods today, depending on the situation I really don't mind when this is my only option. This method also works well when photographing from a rocking ship, like the photograph that we're displaying right now, which was stitched together from a series of frames shot handheld from the stern of a rocking ship heading down the Beagle Channel in Argentina on my way to Antarctica. There's little point in using a tripod from a moving base, and our bodies actually compensate for the rocking quite well as we automatically try to stop ourselves from falling over. One important thing to remember when shooting panoramas is that if you shoot in an automatic exposure mode such as program or aperture priority, your resulting images will have various exposure levels. And this makes it very difficult to create a consistent look across the stitched image. Number 
For example, the sky might have bands of varying brightness, which obviously looks terrible. To overcome this, it's generally better to lock down your exposure in manual mode. If you prefer an automatic exposure mode for your general shooting, get your exposure where you would want it to be with your typical shooting style, but then make a mental note of your settings and go to manual and set your camera in those settings. Take a look at the entire scene that you intend to shoot when you do this and set your exposure for the brightest part of the scene. Although it's possible to deal with dark clouds later, to give your image the best chance, use ETTR or Exposed to the Right, a technique that I discussed in episode 381. If you have any specular highlights, you might choose to allow them to overexpose a little but try not to overexpose much of the image or you will lose detail in those areas. When shooting for stitch panoramas with a li little bit more time, I try to use a tripod. I often use the 70-200mm lens with the tripod foot and rotate the camera and lens in the tripod ring to keep the centre of gravity over the rotation axis of the tripod for better balance and to stop the camera from moving sideways as I rotate it. I generally use a really right stuff L bracket on my cameras, so when I shoot panoramas with a shorter focal length like the 24-70mm lens, I can f easily flip the camera on its side as shown in this photo that we're displaying right now. The centre of the lens remains over the rotation axis of the tripod to help stabilise the lens and to stop the camera from moving to the side as I rotate it around the axis of the tripod. With the camera flipped over on its side, as in the rightmost example of the three photographs that I've stuck together here, it swings a lot as you move the camera for each frame, causing parallax issues that we'll want to avoid. Even the first two example photos here can cause parallax issues though, but we'll look at how to overcome that shortly. Of course, the reason that we flip the camera in the first place is because that helps us to avoid lens distortion that generally creeps in more on the edges of the frame, which become the top and the bottom in a vertical orientation. And some of that will be cropped away later anyway. Plus, if you leave your camera in the landscape orientation, your panoramas end up very long and thin and lower resolution than when you flip the camera vertically and zoom in a little bit. To prevent your camera from creeping up or down too much as you pan, try to get your tripod as level as possible. Many tripods have a spirit level at the top of one of the legs or the platform onto which you attach your tripod head. You can use this to get the tripod level by adjusting the length of each of the legs to compensate for any unevenness in the ground. To save time when leveling my tripod, I use what's called a leveling base. These come with a locking mechanism that you unscrew to loosen the platform at the base of the tripod head and you can then move it up to 15 degrees in any direction. 
This enables me to level the tripod head without having the tripod on even ground or painstakingly adjusting the height of each leg. Since ball heads allow the camera to be moved around freely, you'll also need to level your camera before you begin to shoot your series of photographs. Many modern cameras have digital levels built in, which makes it a breeze to level the camera. You don't need to level the camera on the vertical axis, but ensuring that the camera is horizontally level will stop it from drifting too far up or down as you pan. If you don't have a digital level built into your camera, you can use a small inexpensive plastic spirit level that fits into the flash hot shoe. Okay, so shooting with a ball head from a leveled, leveled tripod will give great results most of the time. This is how I shoot the vast majority of my panorama photographs. But it can introduce errors when stitching your frames together due to slight shifts in parallax because you are rotating the camera in front of the rotation axis of the tripod. In the example image that I'm showing you now, the images on the left were shot with the, tr the camera on a tripod using a ball head. I've merged the photos together for the sake of illustration, but this is two sets of three photographs with the crane ornaments on the far left, center and far right of the frame as I rotated the camera. In the three images to the left, you can see that the relationship between the two cranes and the small plaque changes as I pan from left to right, with the foreground elements drifting outwards slightly. The three images on the right here were shot with a pano gimbal head and the camera in a position to avoid parallax, and there is no parallax shift as the camera rotates. To understand why this happens, hold a finger up and look at it with one eye, then close that eye and open the other. And the finger will move in relationship to the background. This is the parallax between our two eyes and a well understood phenomenon. But our camera only has one eye, right? So why is this such a big deal? Well, next, hold up a finger and look at it with one eye closed and then move your head from side to side while looking at your finger. As you rotate your head one way, your finger will shift in the opposite direction in relationship to the background. This is because your eye, or your lens in this example, is in front of the rotation axis, which right now is your neck. Now try looking at your finger with one eye closed again, but this time, Rotate your head around your eye instead of from the neck. Your finger and the background will remain stationary as your head rotates around your eye. You just found your eye's no parallax point, which is actually the pupil. Your camera is the same. To remove the parallax, you have to rotate the camera around what's called the no parallax point or the NPP. To rotate the camera around the NPP, consider something like the PG-02 Pano Gimbal from Really Right Stuff. You might recall that this is what I use as my gimbal head when shooting wildlife with long lenses, 
and with the addition of a nodal slide that you can see in this example photo, it works very well as a pano gimbal head to help me avoid parallax. It doesn't remove parallax automatically, of course. There are some precise setup steps that you have to follow each time you use it, which include sliding the camera back and forth in the nodal slide to an exact point for each focal length based on the following tests that we'll move on to now. First, we need to set up the gimbal head. I'll use the process for my Really Right Stuff PG02 Pano Gimbal as an example, but this will of course vary depending on the gear that you use. It's quite a large setup once it's all assembled, so I generally keep my Pano Gimbal head broken down in a lens coat really right stuff gimbal pouch. The instructions are the same for either setting up the pano gimbal in the field and setting it up to carry out your tests, so we'll go through these now. Before we start, we need the tripod level using some of the methods that we mentioned earlier, and then fit the horizontal arm of the PG02 pano gimbal, and check that it's level with the built-in spirit level. Next, fit the vertical arm and nodal slide that we saw in the earlier example photo. If you have a battery grip on your camera, fit the vertical arm hanging slightly over the end of the horizontal base. There's enough room for this configuration. Ensure that the camera is aligned with the registration marks on the L bracket so that you know your camera is horizontally in the middle of the setup. The next step is to ensure that the camera is aligned with the rotation axis of the tripod. Point the camera straight down and looking either through the viewfinder or using live view zoomed in, focus the lens at the minimum focus distance and then stop it down to f16 or f22 and press the depth of field preview button. This is usually enough for you to be able to see the registration crosshair in the center of the horizontal panning base. Now adjust the position of the vertical bar on the horizontal bar until the crosshair is in the center of the frame, as you see in this photograph. In this photograph, the white square, digital level and the red line are in the camera's live view and the white cross that you see and the white circle around the digital level's black circle are the registration crosshair that are physically on the pano gimbal's horizontal panning base and they're viewed here via live view so it's a little bit difficult to see what we're looking at to help you to visualize this here's a photo of the camera in the pano gimbal head while pointing straight down at the crosshair in the middle of the horizontal base. Next, we'll look at two methods for finding the no parallax point for the key focal lengths of your lens, which will be at certain distances on the nodal slide, which is how we move the camera back and forth. There are two commonly discussed ways to do this. One is more fun, but in my experience, not quite as accurate as the second method that we'll look at. Let's do the more fun one first. 
The first method involves looking into your lens with the aperture stopped down with a bright light like a window or something behind the camera, shining back through the viewfinder and the aperture. Basically, when you have the camera at the correct point on the nodal slide, the bright spot that you'll see in the lens will remain perfectly stationary as you move the camera around. To check for movement in the bright spot of light, I recommend using a sight if you don't have a second camera. But if you do have a second camera, set it up on a sturdy tripod pointing at your first camera and will use photographs of the bright spot to find your no par parallax point. If you don't have that second camera, then make a DIY sight. It can be as simple as a rectangle of cardboard with a V and a groove cut into it, as we see in this illustration photo. Just bend, bend the cardboard around, tape it at roughly 90 degrees on either end, and then fix it to the top of a stand, such as an old tripod or a light stand. With your camera facing you, and the bright light source behind it, set your aperture to f16, if it isn't already there, and for the test, hold down your depth of preview button while rotating the camera on the pano gimbal. This can be somewhat difficult to do, and here's a little bit of a secret to help with this test. With most DSLR cameras, while holding the depth of field preview button, if you push your lens release button, and just turn the lens slightly. When you let go, the aperture will stay stopped down, where it needs to be for these tests. Just be sure to click your lens back into place when you finish the test though. If you forget to do this, the lens could work, lo work loose and fall out of the mount later, and we don't want that to happen. Now, to actually find the NPP, rotate the camera to the right and then left. And while looking through your sight or shooting test shots with a second camera, check to see if the spot moves left or right. This photo shows what you'll see if the camera is too far forwards and needs to be moved backwards in the nodal slide. As a guide, if the spot moves outwards as you swing the camera to the left or the right, the camera is too far forwards and needs to be moved backwards in the slide until the spot stays at exactly the same place when the camera swings sideways. Conversely, if the spot moves inwards in the opposite direction to these examples as you rotate the camera, then the camera is too far back and needs to be moved forwards in the nodal slide. I've included here a diagram from Striking Landscapes to show how the spot of light moves this way because it needs to be directly over the rotation axis of the tripod for your camera to be at the no parallax point. If your camera is too far forward, the spot is in front of the axis and so swings outwards. And if it's too far back, it's behind the axis and so moves inwards with the rotation of the camera. It might take a few adjustments, but you can gradually move your camera back and forth on the nodal slide until the spot of light remains stationary 
as you rotate the camera from side to side. In fact, once you have the camera at the correct point on the slide, you should be able to move it in any direction, up, down, as well as side to side, and the spot of light will remain perfectly stationary. As we can see in this animated GIF file that I created of nine photographs of the camera in various positions. I've never tried this, but I'm pretty sure an animated GIF will not work in the enhanced podcast. So even if Apple fix the issues with iOS 8 and you start to be able to see them photographs again, you're probably going to have to go to the website to see this, but there's a nice big animated GIF and that's there at mbp.ac452 if you want to go and check that out. You can find your no parallax points relatively easy using the site method that I mentioned earlier, but I found that photographing the camera, as in these examples here, and then zooming in on the live viewer to check the image in playback mode, and then switching between images as you as you adjust the, the camera on the nodal slide, that is really the easiest way to check whether the bright spot is moving or not. It's just easier to see the spot and you know when you're looking through the sites it doesn't quite work as well as you'd expect. Okay so that was method one. Now method two, the other method that I use to locate my NPP or no parallax point is to put an object like a tripod or a studio light stand out about three or four feet in front of the camera and then with the camera focused on something in the distance and the aperture stopped down to f16 or f22 I shoot two photographs in the first photograph I rotate the camera to the right so that the light stand is close to the left edge of the frame and in the second photo I rotate the camera to the left so that the light stand is near the right edge of the frame. I do my rough alignment with the camera in live view mode so that I can see the foreground object as it's moving as I rotate the camera. But then when it stops moving, or I think it has, and I think I'm close, I shoot an image at each extreme and then zoom in and check by moving the image back and forth. You know, you've got two images use your back and forth button and as you move between the two images you can see if the object really is moving, the light stand really is moving in comparison to the background. And you know you might find that you have to adjust and reshoot a few times but it's pretty easy to find your no parallax point after two or three adjustments once you get used to this. The photo that we're looking at here is a 100% crop from two test shots. See how the light stand remained almost completely stationary as I rotated the camera right to left. So this is actually a photograph with the light stand on the far left of the frame when the camera was rotated to the right and on the far right of the frame when the camera was rotated to the far left. And we can see that the camera and the lens, the setup is at the no parallax point because there is no parallax shift in these resulting photographs.
Now, of course, what, we, what we're doing here now needs to be repeatable. So you have to record the position at which you have your camera in the nodal slide for each focal length so that you can set your camera at the NPP easily in the field as you shoot your stitched panoramas. How you record your measurements will depend on your nodal slide and there, although there have been attempts to standardize these measurements to enable easy sharing of data, I generally find it easier to just test myself and note my results as I'll share with you here. Firstly, I always set my camera clamp at 160mm on the nodal slide as we see in this photograph and I leave it there. This means that all of my NPP measurements can be jotted down with easy value pairs such as 24mm equals 45.5mm, 28mm equals 47mm, 35mm equals 51.5mm etc. The first value is the lens focal length and the second value is the point at which I have the nodal slide attached to the quick release clamp on my vertical arm. And that's what we can see in this photograph. Knowing these measurements means that I don't have to find my NPP afresh every time I set up the pano gimbal in the field. I just have to ensure that my camera is directly over the rotation axis of the tripod by pointing it straight down and adjusting and then set the camera to these measurements on the nodal slide and I'm good to go. I find and note the NPP for all focal lengths etched on the lens as they are easy to return to then in the field because you, you can always get to like 24, 28, 35, 50 and 70 millimeters on the 24 to 70 lens. And then I add my measurements as a note on my computer which automatically syncs with my iPhone. You could also write this down on the back page of a shooting journal or whatever you have with you in the field. The important thing is to have something like this with you when you need it. Whether you are shooting handheld, on a tripod with a ball head or a full pano gimbal setup, once you're ready to shoot, it's generally best to start at one extreme of your scene, include a little more than you think you'll need in your final photograph, and start to shoot a series of photographs moving half to two thirds of a frame at a time. The overlap is necessary to help Photoshop or other stitching software to line up the images. If you shoot multiple rows of images, ensure that you have at least a third of the bottom of your images overlapping with the top of the previous row or vice versa. There are techniques for using the degree engravings on the pano gimbal or tripod heads when shooting for stitch panoramas and I'm sure there are benefits to doing this but I do this by eye most of the time. Note though that it does help to lock down the vertical movement of the tripod head as you move the camera horizontally to stop your frames drifting up and down. To finish though, here's an, a photograph of a series of photos which I used as my example workflow in the Striking Landscapes ebook. And the scene here is 
the Ashino Lake with a Shinto gate or Torii and that's there with Mount Fuji in the distance and this was shot with a single line of images at 135 millimeters. The edges of each of the overlapping photograph is highlighted in Photoshop. You can see here too that although I was really careful getting everything level, the images drift up slightly as I made my series of exposures. In Striking Landscapes we go on to walk you through how I actually stitch these images together in Photoshop, but we won't get into that today. As I said earlier though, at some point we'll touch on this and I'll probably introduce a new piece of software that I'm now using, as well as recapping on Photoshop if possible. Either way, I need a little bit more time to prepare for that, so we'll finish here for today with the techniques necessary for finding your no parallax point and actually capturing your images for stitch panoramas. Thanks very much for listening today. If you enjoy this podcast, please share a link with your friends. And if you don't already, please subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast program to ensure uninterrupted delivery. You can find me on Google+, Twitter and Facebook, etc. And links to everything that I'm up to are at martinbaileyphotography.com. So do drop by and take a look. I'll be back next week with another episode. But in the meantime, you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye bye.